0: Oh, I've been thinking. Oh, what do you want to do there? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a
1: bumpy night. They call me Mr. Tibbs. Welcome to 99 Years 100 Films, the podcast where we look at every winner of the Best Picture Academy Award in release order and see why the film was so highly regarded. This time we are looking at Going My Way. So, Going My Way has actually an initial release date from 1944 so specifically may 3rd 1944 for a new york premiere but for the academy award eligibility it's the la premiere that counts and that was august 16th of 1944 so this one was directed by leo mccrary with screenplay by frank butler and frank cavett and of course when i say we are looking at then uh I mean, myself, Blaine Dollar, and
0: regular co-host, Trey Hooks. How are you doing, Trey? Good, Blaine. Hope everyone's having a, a safe time during what's going on in the world right now. Yes, we are recording well in advance. So
1: we're in, I guess, May 2020. So the, we're, we're all under lockdown
0: right now. But it's a perfect time to record a podcast and watch movies. So, Yeah, for a lot of us. So I'll go ahead and give a brief synopsis for our listeners. Going My Way is the story of Father Charles Chuck O'Malley, played by Bing Crosby, an unconventional priest from St. Louis who's sent to a church in trouble, St. Dominic's of New York. The younger priest pretends to be the assistant of the more traditional Father Fitzgibbons, played by Barry Fitzgerald. Father O'Malley convinces the local street gang to form a boys' choir, much to the annoyance of Father Fitzgibbons. Uh, Fitzgibbons goes to complain to the bishop and discovers that Father O'Malley has actually been put in charge of the parish. The embarrassed Fitzgibbons runs away, but returns later in the night. Eventually, the two priests bond. Father O'Malley runs into an old girlfriend, Jenny Tuttle, who is now the prima donna of the Metropolitan Opera. With her help, He arranges for the boys' choir to perform one of his original compositions for a group of music executives, hoping to sell it in order to bail the church out of its financial problems. The executives reject the song, Going My Way, as being too schmaltzy and sentimental. But when the boys sing the Mule song, as it's called in the film, what most people would know as Swinging on a Star, another of O'Malley's songs for fun, the executives love it and buy it. Father O'Malley, having successfully bailed the church out of its financial problems, is assigned a new church to rescue, but not before a fire consumes St. Dominic's. Father O'Malley assures Father Fitzgibbons that the church will survive, and after arranging a farewell surprise, quietly slips out into the night. And that is Going My Way, directed by Leo McCary. It was the highest grossing film of 1944. So this is one of the cases to where a film which won Best Picture was also going by box office receipts, probably the most popular film of the year.
1: Yeah, in its time, it probably was. It's, I think, just that right mix of contemporary drama, tension over the war, and optimistic fun that would really engage a wartime audience. Yeah, and it's uh well we'll we'll get to that as we always do, but it is not in quite as high an esteem as it was when it first came out.
0: <clears throat> we could talk a little bit about it more later. It is a bit of an odd duck film. When I worked at a video store, this was always racked as a musical, but it doesn't fit what's becoming a this time to be the standard of the musical. If you compare this with Meet Me in St. Louis, which came out the same year, that is much more of kind of the traditional musical, and they're two completely different types of films.
1: Very much so. I mean, the, the classic genre musical is the one where yeah, they're telling the story through the music and you have a number of musical numbers it would eventually grow to the point where you'd have like one modern dance number mixed in you know you've got that in singing in the rain in oklahoma and a lot of those musicals that are going to be i think really the heyday of the musicals probably the 1950s and that's when you see a lot of those genre archetypes this doesn't have that and it's not that the music isn't important but it's it's a case of A guy who is musical, well, kind of like the music man, except he's competent. And there are scenes with music, but the music often is not there to drive the plot forward. And by that, I mean, you know, it's important that the boys in the choir are singing and practicing and rehearsing and getting better. But they are rarely expressing the emotional sentiment of their characters through the music, which is the musical staple that we'll get to. Here, with a couple of exceptions, specifically Going My Way, that's the one at the emotional resonance. The rest are just songs they happen to sing, and it's important that they're singing more so than what they're singing, if that makes sense.
0: No, it it, it does, and there's also several different styles of singing. I, I don't even want to necessarily say genre. You have a couple of what I'll call pop songs for you know, the the 1940s, like swinging on a star and going my way. Then you have the boys choir singing Ava Maria. You have Bing singing Silent Night. You have a number from Carmen done in full operatic style. So it's not a bunch of secular standards like you would have in your atypical musical.
1: Yeah, very much so. It's, yeah, it, music is important to it, but it's it's almost more like, I don't know, in some ways it's almost like the you know the music in Guardians of the Galaxy where most of it is not created for the film and it's a part, it's in the film, but you still wouldn't really call the, mu- the movie a musical. This is, it is hard to classify because it, if anything, it was one of the first dramedies because there's a lot of comic beats in a very, emotionally high-stakes, dramatic
0: story? If this were a book, it would probably be more a short story collection, perhaps, than a novel or novella. We've talked about this before with um, Mrs. Miniver, excuse me, Mrs. Miniver and How Green Was My Valley, to where a film in this era gives you this kind of quasi-sense of time passing and unless you get a clear benchmark in terms of an event in a story like the flower show in Mrs Miniver it, it can be hard to tell how much time is passing so with Mrs Miniver it's longer than a week but probably shorter than a year how green was my valley obviously has to be covering multiple years but It's not so obvious when you're watching it unless you stop to think about it. I I don't think Going My Way is necessarily going on over years, but is it going over, is it taking place over weeks or over months? It's really hard to tell. And that's why it has more of that series of interlocking vignette feel more than a through line narrative, or at least it did to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there is that overarching narrative that glues it all together. Because, you know, you do have the goal where he has to turn this church around. And part of how he's doing that is by you know, finding the, a way to get all the juvenile delinquent boys in, which is very nicely done. You know, these are one of the early comedic scenes is where, you know, these boys steal turkeys from a truck. And they claim that they won one of the sweepstakes and donate it to the church, so they do like Father Fitzgibbon, and it's when Chuck O'Malley and Fitzgibbon are sitting there eating this turkey, and he's talking about it, when Bing Crosby says, yeah, you know what, the the police say that those boys are in trouble. What do they do? Steal turkeys. And the moment of realization is played for comedy, and played well for comedy in this one, and then, you know, obviously Chuck O'Malley gets a hold of the boys, and in the first moment, he just you know, he doesn't chastise them. He doesn't call them out for it. He just says, hey, you know, there, there's a baseball team coming to town. I was from that town. I know some people on it. I can get everyone tickets. So why don't you join me? And he's even doing that And in the initial choir practices. You know, he ropes them into the choir while wearing just that the baseball jersey. or Well, it's a jacket with the, the baseball team's logo on it more so than a jersey. But he wasn't doing it with the collar. So he was deliberately picking a wardrobe where he wouldn't immediately be associated with the church and was just a guy. And he, of course, reaches them because it's that kind of film. You know, so we, we do have these running plots. But yeah, I could have easily seen this you know, if it started in print, as you said. This could have worked very nicely as one of those novels that came out serialized from mm-hmm. magazine to yes. magazine where you have a complete episode in each magazine. Yeah, it could have fit that format quite nicely.
0: I think this was, uh, you kind of already alluded to it, I think this was the perfect inoffensive film for the time. It is religious in so much as it is about a battle of wills between an older priest and a younger priest trying to save a church. It is about Catholicism in so much as it's a Catholic church that's being saved. But Father O'Malley espouses a, a humanist form of religion. I, I'd say, for lack of a better word, it's, it's you can be religious and still have fun and still look at things lightheartedly. It's about looking out for the other person. But there's no actual dogma presented in the film at all.
1: Yeah, it's like you said, it is, we do know it's Christianity. You, aside from them naming themselves, I mean, it's when you've got the Irish people in the church, especially with it, when you can identify that if it's in the northern and southern Irish accents, yeah, you know which version of Christianity they're going to do. But had they, you could easily recast that role and instead of having it as the catankerous old Irish priest, you just had a priest there, this really could have been any of the flavors of Christianity. Right? It, it could have easily shifted from Catholic to Protestant to Baptist because it's, <clears throat> it's mentioned, it, but it's it's not preachy. It's just a movie about preachers,
0: <coughs>
1: right? But it doesn't ever preach to the audience in any extreme way
0: they just express themselves to each other well and it even it, it even wouldn't have to be christianity you could do this story with a synagogue or a mosque and still just have that younger non-traditional religious leader older more traditional religious leader and it would work just fine yeah absolutely all right so shall we go through the
1: the nominees and awards sure all right, so this was the 17th annual, the second one that's hosted in a large public venue when they started going to Grauman's Chinese Theatre. a ceremony was hosted by John Cromwell and Bob Hope. And obviously, Best Motion Picture. It's no longer called Outstanding Production. We are finally in the Best Picture vocabulary. That went to Going My Way, which beat out Dumble Indemnity, Gaslight, Since You Went Away and Wilson. Leo McCary won Best Director. Beating out Billy Wilder for Double Indemnity, Otto Preminger for Laura, Alfred Hitchcock for Lifeboat, and Henry King for Wilson. Best Actor went to Bing Crosby for, again, Going My Way. Beating out Charles Boyer in Gaslight, Barry Fitzgerald in Going My Way, Cary Grant in None But the Lonely Heart, and Alexander Knox in Wilson as Woodrow Wilson. Now, this wasn't nominated for Best Actress. Ingrid Bergman took home that award for Gaslight up against... Claudette Colbert, Betty Davis-Grew Garson, and Barbara Stanwyck. Best Supporting Actor went to Barry Fitzgerald for Going My Way. So the rules were a little bit different then. So Barry Fitzgerald was nominated for Best Actor and Best Supporting for the same role, and he took home Best Supporting. Hume Cronin was up for Seventh Cross, Claude Rings for Mr. Skeffington, Clifton Webb for Laura, and Monty Woolley for Since You Went Away. Best Supporting Actress, again no nominations for this film. Ethel Barrymore took it home for None But the Lonely Heart, up against Jessica, or Jennifer Jones, Angela Lansbury for Gaslight, Aline McMahon and Agnes Moorhead. Best Original Screenplay went to Wilson and Lamar Trotty, up against Hail the Conquering Hero, Miracle of Morgan's Creek, Two Girls and a Sailor and Wing in a Prayer. Best Screenplay, overall, did go to Going My Way or Frank Butler and Frank Cabot, for their screenplay based on Leo McCary's story. So, forgot to mention that, but yes, the director did come up with the overall story for this. Now, they were up against the writers of Double Indemnity, Gaslight, Laura, and Meet Me in St. Louis. The best original motion picture story went to Going My Way, Leo McCary, up against A Guy Named Joe, Lifeboat, None Shall Escape, and The Sullivans. The best short subject cartoon went to Mouse Trouble by Frank Quimby. So Tom and Jerry. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, a lot of these short films, and especially the animated films that have been nominated in recent years, were very much rah-rah pro-war films. This year's nominees were Mouse Trouble, and I think I saw it on Mulberry Street, Dog, Cat and Canary, Fish Fry, How to Play Football, My Boy Johnny, and Swooner Crooner. So the the propaganda film is fading in the short subjects. Uh, It still dominates the documentaries. Best documentary went to The Fighting Lady by the United States Navy, and the only other nomination was Resisting Enemy Interrogation by the United States Army Air Force. Documentary short subject was With the Marines at Tarawa, the Marine Corps, Up Against Him and the Nations, from the United States Office of War Information, Overseas Motion Picture Bureau, and New Americans by RKO which wasn't so much rah-rah pro-military, but it's a short documentary about the people displaced by the war and how they were embraced by America. So live-action short subject went to Who's Who in Animal Land. That was the one reel. The two reel went to I Won't Play by Gordon Hollingshead. Now, the best scoring of a dramatic picture, again,
0: has a huge number of nominations. And I'll just say the fact that Going My Way wasn't nominated in either of the best scoring, I think, kind of speaks to how, as we said before, it's kind of unique for a production that revolves around music without really being a musical. Yeah. I mean, if we look at this, the best scoring,
1: 20 nominations since you went away by Max Steiner took it home for the best scoring of a musical picture, 15 nominations went home to uh, Morris Stoloff and Carmen Dragon for their work on Cover Girl, with Rita Hayworth and Gene Kelly. But yeah, this wasn't nominated in either. It did win Best Song. So there's 12 nominations in this category, and Swinging on a Star, with music by James Van Heusen and lyrics by Johnny Burke, is the song that won. Best Sound Recording went to Wilson. Again, no nominations here. Ten nominees, but none for Going My Way. Best Art Direction Black and White went to Gaslight. Best Art Direction Color went to Wilson. Best Black and White Cinematography, Going My Way was nominated, but it did not win. Uh, Joseph Lachelle won for Laura. The other nominees were Double Indemnity, Dragon Seed, Gaslight, Going My Way, Lifeboat, Since You Went Away, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, The Uninvited, and White Cliffs of Dover. Color Cinematography went to Wilson. Obviously, Going My Way was not eligible. Film editing is another nomination that Going My Way lost. Uh, Wilson won with editing by Barbara McLean. Editing was probably the first major category in film production that women were able to, to work their way into. But Wilson won over Going My Way, Janie, None But the Lonely Heart, and Since You Went Away. And then Best Special Effects went to 30 Seconds Over Tokyo up against The Adventures of Mark Twain. Days of Glory, Secret Command, Since You Went Away, The Story of Dr. Wassel and Wilson. And Bob Hope won an Honorary Academy
0: Award for his many services to the Academy. The only other thing I'll call out is Daryl F. Zanuck won the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. And I just think that's worth noting because the two Memorial Awards today are the Thalberg and the Zanuck. So...
1: Yeah. We can easily see how he came in. So, how do you think the Academy did, picking their winners
0: this year? The box office receipts of 1944 would say that I'm wrong, but I don't think they picked the right film. Just restricting myself to the nominees, I think both Gaslight and Double Indemnity are better films than Going My Way. Now, I'm saying that as somebody critiquing and reviewing films removed from the era in which they were made, I completely see how an audience could be tired of cynical noir and want something much more uplifting in the middle of what was the, I guess, unexpected sequel to the war, to end all wars, so to speak. So I I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm denigrating it, but, you know, however many years removed, I think there are two other nominees that are better films. Yeah,
1: I I would agree with that. I haven't seen Gaslight yet. It's very high on my should watch list. But yeah, it this feels like a movie that would resonate with a wartime audience in ways that it's not going to resonate with today's audiences. So we'll see a few of those. And I can think of a couple from the 1990s that are similar situation where, you know, they were huge cultural hits. And wildly popular and incredibly respected by most people when they came out, but looking back on them 20 years later, not so much. In fact, yeah, I would have also picked Double Indemnity as better. And looking at the best director nominations, Laura and Lifeboat,
0: I think are also better films. I I definitely agree. It's worth noting that the th- this is the year when the Academy restricted. Nominees to five years, so it becomes a little bit more manageable to actually watch all the nominees. Peeling back to curtain, I'll speak for myself. I make sure that I obviously watch the film that we're covering, and then, based off of what I have access to, I start with the most popular in letterbox for the year and start watching my way down and then you know, as life goes, depends on how many films I get through but Lifeboat, I've seen before. I think Lifeboat was actually my first Hitchcock, and for that reason, is probably one of my favorite Hitchcocks. And I watched Laura going through the you know top ranked 1944 films for the year, and it is just outstanding. So yeah, I'd agree with you on both of those. Yeah, I I had every intention
1: of doing that. I've seen a few of these films in the past, but. As I said, we're doing this in the pandemic. My day job is as a teacher, and I need to be there for Q&As for the students, but I'm also pre-recording the lessons to teach online. So between that and taking an online course, because I'm I'm teaching in a private school that caters to the Sikh population, so I'm also Mm -hmm. taking a course on Sikhism online right now. So unfortunately, I didn't have time to watch that, but we're recording this in early May, so by the time we get through early june and into july and august i should be able to watch a lot more of the films on the lists if we look at how history has treated these films taking every movie released in 1944 and sorted them by imdb user rating as long as they have at least a thousand votes number one is double indemnity number two is laura number three is arsenic and old lace which is also highly Mm -hmm. recommended a uh, Frank Capra comedy with Cary Grant, Priscilla Lane, Raymond Massey, Jack Carson, and it's it's twisted in all the right ways. Ivan the Terrible was a Sergei Eisenstein movie. It probably didn't make it to North America in time to be considered this year, but that's the number four pick. Actually, Ivan the Terrible Part One. Then to having to have not oh. Gaslight, The Punch Bowl, The Woman in the Window, Mister Skeffington, Lifeboat is number ten. Children Are Watching Us. Murder My Sweet by Edward Dermitrick is also a very good one. Also a film noir. Meet Me in St. Louis. Hail the Conquering Hero. The Sullivans. Since You Went Away. A Canterbury Tale. The Thin Man Goes Home. The Suspect. The Seventh Cross. The Uninvited. This Happy Breed. Number 23 is 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. We've got The Scarlet Claw with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, one of their Sherlock Holmes films national velvet i could keep going but i think you kind of get the impression that it's not high up on the list Uh, it's actually number 43 on the imdb list with a respectable 7.0 out of 10 right a little bit below it happened tomorrow which is a renee claire directed film starring dick powell that's at number
0: 38 which i also recommend i don't know if you've seen that one I haven't when you're going through your list, though you mentioned to have and have not I don't know if that's the first pairing of Bogey and Bacall, but that's the famous you know how to whistle, don't you? You put your lips together and blow quote film that comes highly yeah. recommended,
1: yeah, and that's part of it i I don't want to make it seem like going my way is a bad film because it's number forty three on the list. I would say it was just a really good year for Hollywood, oh, it was. I mean, looking at these, It Happened Tomorrow is a wonderful comedic mystery, which I think probably inspired the series early edition that lasted for a little bit in the 90s with D.B. Sweeney. So, yeah, it's a newspaper man gets tomorrow's paper delivered every morning. So he's when he knows what's going to happen in the next 24 hours, hilarity ensues. We've got Laurence Olivier directing Henry V at number 40. So that's IMDB voters. Letterboxd voters give it a respectable 3.2 out of 5. But their top 12, Double Indemnity, Laura, Arsenic and Old Lace, Gaslight, Ivan the Terrible Part 1, To Have and Have Not, Hail the Conquering Hero, Meet Me in St. Louis, A Canterbury Tale, The Children Are Watching Us, Lifeboat, and Murder My Sweet. Again, a really strong and incredibly similar top 12. They've got 72 results per page. For some reason, Going My Way disappears when I sort things by average rating instead of popularity. I don't know if it's... I don't know why it disappears. But looking at that rank of 3.2 out of 5, it would be about film number 100 on the list. After things like Curse of the Cat People and The Thin Man Goes Home. You mentioned that this does a musical number from Carmen. Well, there's an adaptation of Carmen from overseas that's on the list. Letterboxd doesn't care which country the film came from. So we've got a lot more of the foreign films in here. So, yeah, I would say that, I mean, again, I don't want to sound like I'm detracting from the film because it is a well-made film. I don't know. I'm actually fairly confident that if it wasn't playing for a wartime audience, right? if the war had already ended, And the same slate of films came out, we'd have seen more, we'd have seen the Oscar votes play out differently. It may have still been nominated because it is a well made movie, but I don't think it would have gone home with the top award.
0: All that being said, it has had something of a a pop culture impact, you know, beyond just 1944. Uh, Ostensibly, the film had a sequel, The Bells of St. Mary. I didn't have enough time before recording to find out exactly which comic it was in, but I do remember it being a Stan and Jack comic. So I don't know if it was Fantastic Four or Sergeant Fury, but in one of their stories in which either the FF mingle with Hollywood or because of Dino Manelli, the Howlers mingle with Hollywood, In the actors that they include, they include Bing Crosby, and Barry Fitzgerald. That's a Sergeant Fury issue. Okay, which would have been appropriate for the era that it was reflecting, but in a time of limited research, that's Jack and Stan remembering it almost twenty years later. It did have a short-lived TV series with Gene Kelly in the Father O'Malley role, and. I've never seen it recognized uh so much by the makers of the Sister Act films, but intentionally or not, the fingerprints of this are all over uh, Sister Act and Sister Act Two: Back in the Habit.
1: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing as I was watching it. it. It it's the same basic template where someone saves a struggling church with music, and it feels almost like an outsider because. Like we said, Bing Crosby's character is very progressive. And, yeah. So, um, I've also done a quick search here while you were talking. And I think maybe the reason that you were having a hard time trying to remember which issue had Bing Crosby is because Bing Crosby appears in *Sergeant Fury and his Halloween Commandos number 24 and in Fantastic Four number 9. Okay. <laughs> so... Going down the list of celebrities, it's a very similar thing, right? So I'm on the uh, Complete Marvel Reading Order by Travis Starnes, because I had that open anyway. He's got everything very nicely sorted. But running through the list, Bing Crosby, you know, has no other appearances in the World War II reading order. But he also appears in Fantastic Four number nine. Bob Hope has no other appearances in the World War II order. But he also appears in Fantastic Four number nine. Or I should say no previous appearances. Bob Hope and Glenn M- Miller are going to come back in Sergeant Fury forty-three, and then we also have you know Groucho Marx and Jimmy Durante in the Sergeant Fury twenty-four, and then again there's more in Fantastic Four number nine, which is titled The End of the Fantastic Four. So this is the one where Submariner. Pretended to be a movie mogul to trap them by having them come star in their own film.
0: Yes, with the unfortunately named S and M Studios.
1: Yeah, and that one has the only cameo by Alfred Hitchcock in the Marvel Universe. Yes, Stan and Jack did like to to put the Hollywood people in there, or at the very least, Stan did.
0: I don't, so, who would you recommend this to? If you can tolerate the different musical styles, this doesn't make a bad family film it the, almost comes across as a Christmas film and that certain set pieces almost seem to be set during the holidays. You know, obviously, if you like Bing Crosby, it's a really good showcase for him. Yeah, I
1: I would say that it, it's a nice Bing Crosby vehicle. It's a nice Barry Fitzgerald vehicle, too.
0: This is him stepping into the limelight we i don't think we've mentioned him so much he he has popped up in other films we've covered but normally in bit character parts for example he was in mrs miniver for just one scene where they're discussing whether it's appropriate or not for a commoner to enter the miniver rose and the flower show but that's it. He's just been kind of in little scenes like that throughout some of the films we've covered.
1: Yeah, checking his IMDb, he was Siphartha in How Green Was My Valley. There's other movies we've mentioned. He was in Bringing Up Baby. He was in Juno and the Peacock. Right. There's, he's the orator in a silent film
0: <laughs>
1: For, in Juno and the Peacock. So a very respectable career. He, you know, you may see him down the road in The Quiet Man. And then there were none. Those are two of his others if you look at his IMDb, best known for the top four are The Quiet Man, Going My Way, and then there were none in Bringing Up Baby. So he he does play the part very well.
0: He's normally typecast as the drunk Irish. So in Bringing Up Baby, he's a groundsman who's not sure if he's seeing the leopard or not. I, I remember him now from How Green Was My Valley. He was the best friend of the punch drunk fighter who... Uh, teaches Hugh how to stand up for himself at school.
1: Yeah, he's he's one of those players. That he will. I'm glad he got the recognition because he always comes in and he nails the part that they were giving him. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy he took home the Oscar this year. Because even though he did really well in this role, he's he's one of those guys that's easy to forget because he's rarely played the second the central character, but he's always played his part very well. So I would. I would agree this is it's easy to recommend to fans of either of those leads. And you know, beyond that, like we said, I think, yeah, you your comparison to Sister Act is probably the most comparable. It's not as comedic as Sister Act, but that probably is the most comparable film that I could think of. Aside from the obvious Bells of St. Mary's, which IMDb voters actually say is better than this one. This has the 7.1 rating. Bells of St. Mary's hit 7.3. This is another case where you go through the IMDb's people who saw this also watched. There's Bells of St. Mary's and other Best Picture winners for all 12 titles that they give us. So I think that is most of its audience these days are people like ourselves who are watching all the Best Picture winners. So, yeah, I think it's one where we have a good movie that should not have taken home the award, not because of its own failings, but because it was released at an incredibly competitive year and there's just that many better movies that were also out at the same time
0: yeah I, I i would agree i i wouldn't want our listeners to think this is a subpar film It it's not
1: yeah a, a last competitive year I, I don't think we'd be balking at the win but here it's yeah if i hadn't seen the other nominations i would have no problems walking away going oh yeah that was best picture having seen them it's not that this isn't good. It's just not better than those. But again, we're not watching it as part of the wartime audience.
0: I, I will recommend that our listeners if, if definitely check out Going My Way. And while Double Indemnity probably would have been my pick for win out of the nominees this year, but check out Gaslight. If, if for no other reason, you know, uh, the... In case anybody's listening to this, you know, decades from now, (laughs) there's a term gaslighting, which in relationships and social media has a very specific definition and connotation. This film's the origination of that term. So if you want to see the original kind of source of where the term gaslighting someone came from, watch Gaslight.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a term that we've been hearing a lot of in the past few years. So, yeah. It, for others, for this year, yeah. I, double Indemnity, Laura, Lifeboat, and Arsenic and lace are also very easy to recommend. So, 1944 was a very good year. Obviously, the following year was 1945. So, when we take a look at that next year, we are going to be looking at The Lost Weekend. With Arima Land, yes. Yeah, and it's... And the next year seems a little less competitive. It's more a typical year, I think, than the exemplary year that 1944 was. Definitely good stuff there. Just not quite the 1944 batch. So join us again um, next month on the 28th when we cover The Lost Weekend. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone.
0: My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get.
1: Please, sir. I want some more.